0: Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Definitely tell that they're busy. Both these missionaries are very busy, and um, I've just been reading the Gospels, and we're getting. I'm gonna. I promise you, I'll try to condense all this, but I want you to just hear me out on this. I'm gonna try for 20 minutes. All right, so just listen to me on this. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 16. Let's go ahead and stand. We're gonna read just one verse, and I want you to see this as we get into this. Probably the most common verse when it talks about missions is found in Mark chapter 16. is verse 15. It said, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Although this is a missions verse, it is also a Kingsport verse. All right? We're supposed to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That does not mean that we forsake what's here. There's people here that need Christ. And I don't know if you had the opportunity to go out to lunch today But as I watched the people that came into the restaurant that I was at, there were people that did not go to church. You could just tell it by the way they were dressed, tell it by the their attitudes when they come in. And and as you you think about that, we have a responsibility to um, hit the area of Kingsport. And I just want to talk to you about that a little bit. I want to talk to you about the Savior that we have. A, A little bit of review. We talked about he was selfless. We talked about Christ being not only selfless, but he was a servant. And tonight we're going to talk about him being our savior. And as you look at these, we we broke these down into some stories. Now there's some other things that would would prove this, but as we do review, when we talk about being selfless, he washed the 12 disciples' feet and included Judas in the washing. And then he was a servant where he had the 10 lepers that came and he healed them and only 10% of them came back and said, one of them came back and thanked him for it. He was a servant to those nine as much as he was to the ten. And then he is our Savior, and, and I get this from the, this is his last commandment that he's going to give these guys. And he's talking to his disciples, and he says, listen, you got to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we're going to look at that. But to understand where he's at with this, you got to look at Mark chapter 16. And I'll break it down what happens in Mark chapter 16. Verses 1 through 8, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James, sees Christ. And and they're told to tell the people, but they get nervous and and they're scared and they don't tell the people in verse number 8. Then 9 through 11, Mary Magdalene comes back on the scene and she does tell them, two men are walking and they see him in verses 12 and 13. 14, he appears to the, the disciples. And 15 and 16, this is the commandments that he gave. And we read the first one. 17 and 18 he talks about the miracles they're going to see. In 19, Jesus is on the right hand of God. And then in verse number 20, and they went and they went forth. So I just want to talk to you about our Savior, what, what we can get from our Savior. We're supposed to be like him. And there's some things that he is, and, and, and there's more sides to the Savior than just these four. There's many sides to the Savior, but I'm going to give you on my what I think my Savior is to me. Uh, my savior number one, is a practical savior. He is a practical savior. Well you say, why is that so important? He had taught them what they needed to know, and everything that he taught them was true. Amen. He They didn't ever have to go back and go, well, he said this and it didn't happen and but it was practical. He showed them what was going to happen. And he even showed them when he knew that they wouldn't accept it. Amen. He was a very practical savior. I want you to go verse, to verse 1 and 2, and here you have these two ladies coming on the scene. It says, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And verse number 2 says this, and, the, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Here, they're doing the practical thing. These two women are coming to do the practical thing. They're going to anoint the body with what they normally would do after a death. And my question to you is this. These these 11 men that have given up everything, where are they? They're not there, but these ladies are. And I could almost sense what the disciples are, but they're probably sitting there going, if I go and they figure out who I am, they might kill me too. But these two ladies walk up, and it's just a practical application to this whole thing. They were doing what they needed to do, and they were doing it for their love of the Savior. It was a practical Savior. He teaches us. He teaches us what we need to know, and every time it is true. If I ask you this question, has God ever let you down? He hasn't. Sometimes he makes you go through tests to make you what you need to be. But he's still a very practical savior. He doesn't ask you to do more than you can handle. So often when you talk about even tithing, people say, "Well, I can't give 10 percent. He could have asked for 50. but he asked for 10 percent. He's a very practical savior. and to me, he's a very practical savior. The second thing is in this is he's not only a practical savior. this is a, one of the, the, the best things for me. He is a powerful savior. Because although he's practical, look at verse number three. Here these ladies are walking up and they're gonna, they're gonna they're gonna do what they need to do for Christ's body. And look at verse number three. They start thinking practical. They say in verse number three, they say, and they said among them amongst themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? They start walking and they haven't seen it yet. And they're saying, How in the world am I gonna how are we gonna get in and do what, what is the practical thing to do for our Savior? But you know what? God's a powerful Savior because in verse number four it says, and when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. And people say, well, it was a small stone. But look at the next phrase. It says, for it was very what? Great. And here you have the powerful Savior coming in. And, and if you just go back and you think of what the, what, the, what the disciples had seen about their powerful Savior. Here's a man that, that they knew had done no wrong in their eyes. Have you ever been with somebody for three and a half years and practically, basically lived with that person and not seen them do anything wrong? People have their problems, but they never saw one. They never saw him talk about people. They never saw him go out after people. They never saw him have a bad, bad thought. They They never heard his mouth do the wrong things, say the wrong things. He was always where he needed to be, and he was that selfless, and he was that servant. But he was a very powerful Savior because you know what he did? He got on a cross for you. And they saw it. And and, and they knew what was going on. He shed his blood for you. And the Bible says, it says, for without the shedding of blood, there's what? No remission. That's why Cain got in trouble. But he knew the power of his blood and he knew the power of the cross and he knew what he had to do. And I think one of the saddest things he says, he says, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani. And that's when, when God himself had turned on him and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The, per, the, the being that he loved the most was ripped away from him. And he did that for us. And he took that, the power of the cross and surely when he gave up the ghost, what did the man say that was standing in front of him, guarding him? Surely this must be the Son of God. Amen. See, he was a powerful Savior. And not only was the cross there, then you have the tomb. He's put in the tomb and there's death and Satan thinks he wins. And you, you can go through the, the Gospels and you can see all the things that happened during that time that he was on the cross. Dead people were walking around. Darkness was upon the earth. You saw the veil ripped from the top from the bottom showing that God did it and man had not. And the Holy of Holies was exposed and you could see it because you know what? We have a powerful Savior. And Satan thought he had won. But then there's something called the resurrection. And the resurrection comes in and Satan thought he had won the the death of Christ. And then all of a sudden these two Marys come upon the scene and they see that he's no longer in there. And I like what he says to them. He says in verse number six, he says, And he saith unto them, Be not afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. See, this is the power of Christ. He had the, he had the power to move the stone. He also had the power to go through the death, the burial, and the resurrection to make us who we need to be. And that is my salvation. Because without that, we'd still have altars at churches and we'd have to sacrifice animals. See, we have a powerful Savior. Don't ever underestimate what he's done for you. So we have a practical Savior, we have a powerful Savior, and we have a personal Savior. You know why I like it like this? It's because he came into my heart and he can come into your heart, and he probably has with most of the people in here, but he's a personal Savior. It's all about you. And you see it evident in this story. There's two things that he does in this story that I want you to see. Go ver- I'm going to read something, and I want you to read the next verse. Go to verse number 14, and it says this. Afterward he, in verse in Mark chapter 16, afterwards he had appeared unto the, what's the next word? Eleven. He knew these men. He loved these men. And he knew they all had to be together for them to believe everything that was going on. There was Thomas was there. Philip was there. Peter was there. John was there. He wanted them all to be there because he wanted it to be personal to them. Because when you study this chapter, okay, go to verse number 11. What's the last two words? Believeth not. Then he appeared into the form unto two of them in verse number 12 as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Here again, they're not believing, so he waits to make it personal to talk to them. Which disciple do you think was the most discouraged disciple out of all the disciples? I can tell you which one, the one that's written more about, and who would that be? Peter. What has he just done? He has just denied Christ three times after he told the disciples and Jesus that he wasn't going to do that. But watch what happens in this story. Go to verse number um four let's go to verse number four and this is the ladies talking again they said and when they looked they saw that the stone was rolled away for it was very great and in into sepulcher they saw a young man sitting on the on the right side clothed in a long white garment and they were afraid, afraid and he saith unto them be not afraid he he ye seek jesus of nazareth which was crucified he is risen and he's probably gone didn't he tell you this He is not here, behold the place where they laid him. But watch this. Now here comes the personal application. He says in verse number seven to him, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. He singles him out. Why? Because he knew what he was going through. When's the last time you you did something and, and you knew God was beating you up and beating you up and beating you up? And then what does he do? He brings someone back to show you that he's a personal savior and he loves you. That's exactly what he was doing to Peter. That's the only reason he brought Peter's name in this. He could, if you take this verse and take the word and Peter out of it, watch, it says, and and go your way, tell his disciples that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall he see him, and he said unto you. I'm telling you, it's a personal savior when he talks about Peter right here. Because he knew Peter was the one that was fighting all these emotions of I'm going to follow you, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to follow you, and three times, no, I'm not him, no, I'm not him, no, I'm not him, and then the chicken. The cock crowed, and bam, he's thinking. Everything that he said happened. And I think in his mind he thought this would never happen. But when he is your personal Savior, he has the right to correct you. And he does that. Go to this verse in the very back. Go, keep going in verse number um, 14. It says, after he appeared unto the, the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them. The word abraded is this, to find fault with or reproach severely. So Jesus is sitting with these disciples. And we've already read in verse number 13 they didn't believe him because they didn't see him. In verse number 11 they didn't believe him because they didn't see him. And so he says, listen, I'm going to fix this and I want you to see this. Before I tell you what to do, you need to be corrected. And he says, listen, because of what? Their unbelief. They didn't believe what had happened. They had no idea. They could not fathom that Jesus had risen from the grave. Although they had seen Lazarus rise from the grave. They had seen a feeding of the 5,000. They had seen him walking on water. They had seen all these miracles, but the, the man that was doing all these, they couldn't fathom That he could do what he's about ready to do. This is the powerful side of of being a savior. He is my powerful savior. When you have a problem, he can help you with it. He can make you what you need to be. And here he's saying in this, he's a personal savior. He says, listen, if, if I am your personal savior, I am going to teach you things. He corrects them. He says, of your unbelief. And then he says this, of your hardness of heart. Boy, it didn't take very long for them to turn. It did not take them very long because you know what people do? We react. And and, and when when I looked at that word hardness of heart, it's the destitution of spiritual perception. They couldn't see what Jesus was doing. So when he sits amongst them and he says, listen, of your unbelief and your hardness of heart, I am upset about this. Because look at all the things that I've sacrificed, all the things that I've done, and and yet someone comes to you and tells you that that I've risen, and I told you I was going to rise again, and I told you I was going to rise again, and I told you, and you wouldn't believe it. He corrects them. He says, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. You know, we're, we're better off than what the disciples were. Because we've never seen him. The disciples had to see him. But you know why I think they had to see him? Because they were so close of friends to him. It hurt them so bad. And they didn't understand everything. As you talk today, today they would, they would tell parables, and these disciples wouldn't understand them. And you know, as, as as Christ the Savior, he he probably thought, why don't you understand these things? And he had to bring them back and teach them what they needed to teach what, what he needed to teach them. He he abraded them. He was he found fault in them. But yet he still loved them. You read verse number 14, and you would never put verse number 15 right behind it. Because here he's told them, hey, you don't believe, and you've got a hardness of heart. But what I want you to do is this. And here you have what he tells the people to do. See, he's not, he's not only a practical Savior in my life, he's a powerful Savior. But he's also a personal Savior, and the last one this is his planning Savior. He plans things. He doesn't wake up and go, well, how in the world did that happen? Well, what, what happened to that? I think of how my wife and I met. He had it all planned. He had it all planned with our kids. You know, I wouldn't plan that one of my daughters would live out in California. I don't even like California. I lived out there for three years. I don't want to live there. You know, and I see how God just planned everything accordingly. But she loves it. You know, we're about ready to go on this trip, and I don't like to fly, and I figured I should have never done this. I figured out how long I'm going to be up in the air, and I should have never done that. I'm going to be in the air for 12 hours. And everybody says, well, you're going to Hawaii. I'm, st- I'm not thinking about flowers and, and the lay they put on me. I'm thinking 12 hours. And we're going to all these things. I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do this. I get up. I don't I, The things I don't like about the flight are the takeoffs, And when they sat down, and all the time in between, I don't like any of those things. And so when when I get up there, I'm going, oh, no, I will be a praying pastor when I'm up in that that flight. And then I see some of the planes. I hope our planes are bigger than your planes. And and, and as I look at this, he has a plan for you, and he has a plan for me. Look at verse number 16. He, he, He goes and he says in verse number 15, I'm sorry, verse number 15. He says this, it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not an option, folks. All these countries, states, and, and when I say organizations, I'm thinking of, of the military. It's not an option for us to do this. This is the last thing he told his disciples. He says, listen, you need to go. And watch this, he says, go ye. Now you're saying, well, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the disciples there, but it's carried on to us. I mean, we, we, we should go to Africa. And, you know, you, you hear him talk about that. And you know what most people are scared of missionaries for? Oh, no, God's going to send me to Africa. They're going. And they're our representative. And so we have to support them. But you know what? We've got to go also. It might be financially, but you know what? It, it's also prayer time. Do you need prayer where you're at? I mean, I know where some of the places you're going, you need prayer. And I I didn't realize where you were going, Randy, and I was praying for you, but you go again, I'm going to pray a little bit more distinct of what I'm praying about. He was telling me that they pump up the water for for three hours, and when he takes a shower where he was at, the water's brown. Just to get the stink off, but you get dirt all over yourself. Now, if we were to do that, think about that. You go to a hotel and the water comes out brown. What are you going to do? You're going to complain. And these people to them, it's a delicacy where they're at. Well, you get running water. Sometimes we just don't comprehend how God has blessed us in His planning in our life. It says, "Go ye into all the world." The world to you is this—the entire world—and it means Kingsport, and it means Kingsport. And then it tells you what to do. You're supposed to go ye into all the world, and then what's it say? And preach the gospel to every creature. What's the gospel? The gospel is Christ on the cross dying and rising again for people. That's what the gospel is. It's the salvation message that God gave us. But then he goes in verse number 17 and 18, talks about miracles are going on. But can I say this to you, going back to verse numbers 15, but we will never know if we don't go. We will never know if we don't go. And what's the going? Look at verse number, number 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our job. Folks, that's our job at Bible Baptist Church. Amen. It's not an option. And I'm so thankful we're, we're missions-minded. But as I look at some of these, these things, and, and, and I see what Christ has done in this story, He reprimands them in verse 14. In 15, he tells them what to do, tells them what they're going to see in 17 and 18. In 19, he leaves, but watch verse number 20. Verse number 20, it ends with this, and the first four words are this, and they went forth. Now, I don't know how God called the Collins to where they went, but I can tell you if God called them there, that's the safest place to go. And I could tell you wherever you go this week, it's where God wants you to go and he's sending people across your path so that you can tell them about the gospel. You know, I was thinking of these, these four things that God is to me. He's my practical savior. He's very practical to me. He, he teaches me things as we go. He's, my, he's, he's a powerful savior. He's always doing things that are not of the norm. And then, then I think he's my personal savior and thank God I can talk to him in a personal relationship. But he's my planning savior. And I was thinking, I wonder what he calls me. Because I look at myself, I look at these things, a practical savior, a powerful savior, a personal savior, a planning savior. You know, I think he probably calls me a pitiful servant. A pitiful servant, sometimes just doing my duty. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to be like him. And his ability here, in his his approach to this whole thing is we're supposed to go into all the world. You see these flags around here. That's our world. And each one represents people that we support. We have the Korean flag. We have the Japanese flag. And let's go to the Filipino flag. We've got some of the, the, the states here South Dakota, Wyoming, Tennessee. When, when we put limits on what God is, we're not doing verse number 15. And you know, I'm so thankful that he's a practical Savior. I'm so thankful that he's a powerful Savior. I am wonderfully thankful that he is a personal Savior. And he's a planning Savior. There's, There's no doubt in my mind that God plans things in my life just like he plans things in your life. And so this week when you go out, what's God's got for your plan? Do you take Mark 16, 15 with you? And I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. Because there's always people that cross my path. There's always people that cross my path that God wants me to witness to. And do I do it every time? No. And you just don't know what people are going through. But it's our responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature. With every head bowed and every eye closed. we have got missionaries in here that they live this, they live this verse. But you know, even the missionaries that are in here, the, the, we got one speaking going to Spanish-speaking countries. Problem is, is, there's German-speaking countries, and that's his world that he can't get. But he can get it through praying. He can get through financial giving. But we're we're commanded to go into all the world. We live in 2018. Somewhat easier to do right now in 2018 than it was back in. 2001 even going back to 1990, 1980 but God has a job for us and he wants us to do it how are you with the going go ye into all the world and preach the gospel aren't we getting the job done We we have 99 missionaries do you pray for them give my money but that's not what i ask if you were to ask these missionaries are here prayer is what they need the most to keep them safe some of them are going into dangerous situations some of these countries that are up on this wall are hostile environments we've got military people that that we we support that defend our rights and our liberties They lay their life on the the line for us. Are we praying for them? Are we praying that someone would go there and, and preach the gospel to them? I don't pray as much as I should. And I'm sure if you were honest with yourself, you don't either.